Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Cobiello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to mitigate crises and help teams get back on track. This podcast is about helping the C-suite leader to navigate challenges with confidence. For today's leader, I'm here to help you get back on track. Tomorrow's leader, let me partner with you to learn the secrets of the C-suite. Wherever you're at in your career, this is the podcast for you. Hello, I am Deb Cobiello, founder of The Drop-In CEO, and I want to thank you again for joining us on another episode of the podcast where week after week, I speak to amazing leaders who share their insights with you and hopefully inspire you. And if you love this episode, and I know you will, please subscribe, rate, review, and tell others. Please, please tell others. We want to spread the insights to others, and we want to continue to bring you great programming. And just know, on a personal note, the reason why I do this is I want to help C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow navigate their challenges with confidence. And today, I am joined with a fantastic guest, Wayne Howard. Wayne's vast career includes executive positions at five blue chip companies, Tiffany & Company, IFF, Unilever, Nordstrom, and Canadian Pacific, and he is now a director advisor with Peel Davies of New York. As an advisor, they provide strategic and financial advice on acquisitions, private capital solutions, restructures, and growth initiatives. And also, he is so accomplished. He has had so much experience with integrations, developing and executing global growth strategies, increasing sales and profitability, and much, much more. We have a lot to learn from Wayne. Welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Deb. It's a fantastic opportunity. I've listened to some of your other guests on the podcast. I've been following you for some time, and the content is excellent. So I'm happy to be here in this seat, and I'm happy to have a conversation with you, and hopefully this will be good for some of your listeners as well. So thank you for that, Wayne. And just a little bit for my listeners, why is Wayne here today? Wayne actually had a part in my career advancement. We crossed paths at IFF, International Flavors and Fragrances, where I was identified as a high potential and Wayne was integral into the leadership development of tomorrow. And so we had a conversation back then. I remember how he made me feel. Fast forward, I went through leadership development. We since went our separate ways, but the power of LinkedIn, finding each other, we are here today to have a great conversation and bring insights to C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow. So grateful for this opportunity, but Wayne, I want you to take the stage a little bit now. I would love for you to share a bit about your leadership journey and the work you're doing now, but I also want you to glean from this a little bit about when did you realize you had arrived? and become a leader? Great question. And I think maybe to handle that uh, appropriately, what I'll do is I'll maybe go back a little bit and uh, I'll talk about some of uh, the key experiences that I've had and how that's maybe shaped me to become the person I am today and have the experiences that I've had over my career. So early on, I was always interested in uh, business and I had uh, you know, parents who were savers and they taught me the power of hard work and uh, you know getting things done and uh, doing the right things. So I actually started my first business when I was in college. I had a swimming pool installation company, which shot me through uh, university. 
I was at university studying just general programs. And uh, after my second year, I went for lunch with a friend and we had a sandwich and a beer at the local hub in the university. And I was talking to somebody who was sitting beside me and the person said, I'm in the business school here. Well, I didn't even know the university had a business school, but this piqued my interest. So after lunch, I went over to the business school. I got an application. I filled it out. And when I took the application, the woman said, by the way, this is due tomorrow. So I went home. I filled it out. I wrote a bit of an essay and I handed it in. Four weeks later, I got a reply in the mail saying that you've been accepted to business school, but you have to take a business course. And the only time I could do that was at summer school. I took six weeks of summer school. I got an A in the course and I was uh, accepted into the business school, which is arguably uh, the best business school in Canada. And they taught the Harvard case method and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I got out of the business school. So that was kind of serendipity that I actually even found out about it and I got in. I, I left there and I started working for Canadian Pacific Railroad in uh, marketing, so in industrial marketing. My background that I studied was finance and marketing. So it was it was great for me. I traveled a little bit. I thought it was very interesting, but I wanted to contribute more. I was getting promotions generally every year. I stayed there for a few years, uh, but I wanted something else. So I joined a global company. I joined Unilever as fast moving consumer products company. I got a promotion. I became the head of logistics and purchasing. I started into supply chain and eventually I moved on to become uh, basically the CFO and COO of one of the companies that Unilever had in Canada. I then, Unilever was great at developing people. And this is one thing that has uh, stayed with me as I've moved through my jobs. Uh, the development of people and being able to find the right people and the right opportunities to match those together to be helpful to both the person and to the company. They sent me to a Harvard Business School program. I did that. And then when I got out of Harvard, I was in Canada. Uh, they said, why don't you come down to the U.S.? We're putting two large companies together. One of them was called Lipton Foods. People are familiar with that. And also the other one was called Vandenberg Foods. So they were about $2 billion each of revenue. I was responsible for some of the operational aspects, uh, mostly sourcing and purchasing. When I got in there, I was responsible for two purchasing divisions. And I was trying to figure out what should I do to make a difference. And I always liked the idea of working on big things. There's too many little things to get in the way. So just work on the big things. I was reading a Fortune magazine or maybe it was a Forbes magazine. And on the cover was this person who was working at General Motors and had saved them $4 billion. And he was becoming a real celebrity at the time. So I thought, I'd like to talk to this guy. I reached out, did some homework. I found out that he was in Spain. I called him up and I said, you know, told him who I was. I said, can we go to dinner? I'd like to understand, uh, you know, how did you do this? Because you're in the Wall Street Journal, you're on these magazine covers. He said, yeah, sure. So I flew over to Spain. I had dinner with him that night. We chatted probably for four hours into the wee hours of the morning. And uh, it was very beneficial for me to understand some of the techniques and so on. I came back to the U.S. I talked to other people who he said would be good people to network with in this area. So I phoned, I think it was the CFO of Kellogg's, talked to him. I phoned the CFO of two or three other companies. And there was some real legitimacy behind that. So I started a program in Lipton to basically save money. It was called strategic sourcing. 
I remember I went to our CEO and I said, this is something that I think we can save some money on. He said, okay, how much do you think you can save? And I said, maybe $5 million. And he said, fine. He said, I'll give you the money to do that, but you have to pay it back in this year. You have to get the cash back in this year. Well, long story short, we saved, uh, I think it cost us about a million dollars through some of the things that we were doing, but we saved a million dollars that year. We put $4 million on the bottom line and we went on in that particular year and year and a half later to save another 20 million and ultimately it was a hundred million dollars for the company. So it got picked up by Unilever on a global basis after I left. I left shortly after that and I went to, uh, to Nordstrom. And when I went to Nordstrom in Seattle, they were going through a leadership change. It was the first time that there was a non-Nordstrom sitting in the CEO chair. I joined as the head of supply chain strategy as they were trying to understand how do they make sure that their uh, brick and mortar stores and their online business link together in a seamless transaction. So I was there working on strategies. We also found out that there were some uh, little glitches in the in the supply chain at that time, which we worked on mostly with uh, people, subcontractors and so on. But it was very interesting. I was there for about six or seven months when I got a call from a person in New York at IFF who said, Wayne, would you like to come back and head up our operations on a global basis? And Deb, uh, we had a little bit of history at IFF at that time. Uh, I joined, and a month later, uh, the company bought the BBA, which was another flavor and fragrance company, and that was a significant acquisition for the company. So when I joined International Flavors and Fragrances, my first job was to understand what type of operations we would have, how they would be formed, who would do what, and basically we had a duplication. We had two businesses in South Africa. We had a couple of businesses, uh, facilities and plants and so on in the UK and all around the world. So we did a lot of uh, sorting out for the first year and a half. And then it was appropriate that to pay for the specific acquisition and also to grow our business and to integrate the two businesses. Uh, one, we needed cash to basically fund the acquisition, so we did some more strategic sourcing. Two, we needed to make sure that uh, our products uh, were generally streamlined. Our go-to-market approach was uh, one IFF at that time. That was a catch-all phrase. Uh, you probably remember that. And, uh, you know, we, we continued on in that path for a while. I had responsibility after a couple of years for the aroma chemical business, which was a half a billion dollar business where we made some strategic changes to the uh, growth strategy and grew that. And then eventually I, I left the IFF after about six years and I again became an entrepreneur. I started a consulting business. Uh, I did play a lot of golf and tennis at that time, but I was drawn back to business and I really enjoyed business. And ultimately, I got involved with uh, private equity. I had my own business doing some consulting. I got involved with a portfolio company that was owned by Cerberus Capital Management, and I worked with them uh, for some time. It was a very interesting role because I was with them for probably about six months and the company went into Chapter 11. I had been with blue chip companies that were had solid balance sheets, and this was a totally new uh, arena for me. It was fascinating. There's a whole different way of doing business. 
And uh, fortunately, I was in a great position to be able to uh, work with our legal department, work with uh, the rest of the executives on the team and negotiate uh, a number of contracts, keep the business going. And we were one of the largest chapter 11s of that year. And we got in and out in 15 months, which was very short period of time. It was kind of a record. I was ready to leave and do my, uh, I guess you'd call it retirement or retooling number two. And I got a call from a friend of mine who was asking if I knew of anyone who could take on a role at Tiffany as head of their manufacturing of the jewelry. I thought this sounded pretty interesting. So I said, well, what about me? So one thing led to another. And before I knew it, I was in, uh, in Manhattan. I was working for Tiffany and company. And I had responsibility for manufacturing jewelry in our plants in the U.S. and, and around the world. After approximately four years of that, I ended up uh, responsible for buying the rough diamonds for Tiffany. Uh, we would bring them into Antwerp. Then we would send them to one of our manufacturing facilities around the world. We were in uh, Botswana, Mauritius, Vietnam, Cambodia. And I had approximately 3,000 people who would be polishing diamonds for Tiffany. And then we would put them into our uh, our jewelry. I, I left Tiffany. I'm speeding things up, but I left Tiffany approximately uh, at the end of last year. So three, four months ago. And right now what I'm doing is um, I'm actually I am playing a little more golf, but I'm also evaluating different situations in terms of uh, expanding my role on a philanthropic basis. I've uh, joined a couple of organizations uh, in uh, the Phoenix area where I'm residing now. And I'm also uh, with a company called uh, Peel Davis as a director advisor. And this company is a small boutique firm that uh, helps businesses uh, with debt financing, helps them to secure debt financing. Uh, we have good connections in New York. We're also on the West Coast and myself, I'm in the Phoenix Scottsdale area. So that's what I'm doing with my time right now. And that's a quick uh, thumbnail sketch of uh, where I started and how I got here, Deb. So Wayne, thank you for all of that. And that is a fascinating journey. There were so many nuggets in there that I just want to bring forward that will lead into my next question. One of the things you said early on, again, this is about your mindset and how you felt, is that even though you started your career out in marketing and finance, you really wanted to contribute more. And later you talk about making a difference and working on big things. Those are key characteristics of somebody that is feeling the need to lead and be more and leave a lasting impact. But later on, as you continue to move on, you took risks, you reached out, you networked with people that you didn't know, but you felt would have an impact on setting the course for your work. You make it sound so easy. There's C-suite leaders or future C-suite leaders out there that want to follow that same track and make a difference on a grander scale. I know I wanted to do that. That's why I jumped around to go to the next company and the next company and have that impact. But you make it sound so easy. Did you always feel like you could do big things? Or were there key things along the way where somebody said, hey, Wayne, you can do this? Or did you have a mentor? Because people out there sometimes want to do bigger things, but just fall short of having an impact. That's a really good observation. And I hadn't thought of it that way. But I don't think I ever had a single mentor in terms of a formal mentoring process. I actually learned from everyone, and probably each of those nuggets, as you call them, came from other people. 
I remember when I was working at Lipton, one of the things that we looked at when we were creating our values was be bold. And that's always stuck with me, uh, being bold, taking calculated risks. My, my big thing is when I'm thinking about business and thinking about how to get things done and the successes that I've had, it's always all about the people. I used to say that a lot to uh, one of the colleagues that I had. And once you have good people that you can work with, and you know where you're going or you know what you want to do. And part of that goes back to working on the big things. It isn't tough. There are big things that make a difference. There are a million little things that move the needle so incrementally on a small, tiny basis that you have to work on the big things. And I think uh, being bold, uh, taking initiatives, and I always, always found you have to know your numbers. I watched the numbers. I learned the numbers. When I went to a new organization, every business is different from a management accounting standpoint. And management accounting can really create um, some twists and turns if people are uh, trying to run their business by management accounting reporting. I would dive into the details. How did we value our inventory? How are we paying these people? So I was at one company one time where we thought we were doing a great job by hiring all these temp workers. We drilled down and we found out that the temp workers looked like they were a good deal, but most of the variable costs of hiring each one and paying for it went to another department. We never saw it. So all of a sudden we said, hey, but there's thousands of dollars here that are leaking out. So all of those things, I think, uh, make a difference. And, you know, so I, I go back, I'd say it's being bold. It's all about the people. It's reaching out to others. And don't be afraid, whether they're a CEO formally and they're in a chair or whether you've got a mindset of a CEO and you're a business analyst, you can do it. It's your business. And no one's going to, in my career anyway, no one has actually faulted me for taking a risk. I didn't ask anybody if I could phone the guy on the cover of Forbes magazine. I just called him. I didn't ask anyone if I could talk to the CFO of uh, Kellogg's. I just called them up and you know, sometimes you get somebody who isn't there or isn't interested in talking to you, but I would just be honest and open and uh, say, here's here's what I'm looking at. And uh, I was wondering if you could maybe help me. And taking the risk is so much, even if you get a no, is so much more valuable than thinking, I, I don't really deserve to be here. I don't think I should do that. You just have to do it. Put yourself out there. It's not hard. It's just part of the process. Just think, what, what would I like to do? What would I like to get accomplished? And then just figure out how to do it. So you hit on a few points that I have found are barriers for potential C-suite leaders moving forward. I have a monthly drop-in collective mastermind, what have you. And some of the leaders that are coming amazingly talented, actually one from IFF was actually in one of my meetings, and they say that they've been told that they miss strategic thinking and communicating. And it's one of those things that I find that they allow themselves to get so caught up in the weeds that they can only articulate the weeds and not being able to articulate what the big picture is. Once you can do that and say, this is where I'm going towards, then all of the activities and work are defined by the big picture versus simply trying to get through the daily work. And the other thing you said that was so powerful is about calculated risks. I have found that also has been a barrier for me. But every time I said, I'm going to take that risk, I would say I have about a 75% success rate. And I want people to think about when taking risk, 
think about the outcome of being successful versus the outcome of failure. When you flip your mindset, you have a higher rate of return on taking those risks because often what's holding you back is all in your head (laughs) and not the person or thing that you have to interact with. Very, very good insight. I'm interrupting this episode to offer an absolutely free networking and educational opportunity I have created and I want you to be there. If you're a mid-level manager that loves your team and has a desire to accelerate your leadership growth, it is possible for you to become that executive leader in the next 24 months. Regardless of your area of specialty, and I know so many of you are talented, you have what it takes to be on the front line collaborate with others, and get the job done. However, let me show you how to leverage that specialized knowledge to create solid connections with other leaders while shifting your focus from day-to-day leadership skills to long-term CEO strategy. Head over to my website, dropinceo.com, and click on the Drop-In CEO Collective to register for your next meeting. Now, back to the conversation. Now, I want to lead this in another direction here because they're C-suite leaders that or people that want to move forward in their careers. You've seen so many along the way, but they're missing something. And I don't know through the years, what are those things that highly talented professionals, maybe they are in the C-suite or just below, but just can't become that essential leader that the organization needs. What are some things that you see are missing I call it sometimes that leadership desert. What are those missing skills that we need to be focusing on or developing in our people? Yes, I I think there's a couple that I've seen throughout my career. And I think probably one of the key things is that people who are very driven to be a leader sometimes miss out on how they work with other people and how they treat other people, you know, treating people with respect and also understanding what motivates other people. I think that sometimes that's, that's a big barrier because uh, as you move up, you need, you need support, whether it's formal or in, informal. And sometimes informal support can just be, gee, I, I was talking to Deb the other day and she was really interested in what I was doing with my dog or something. So so being a real person, being the person that you are, I think is important and being interested in others. Sounds kind of trite, but I think that's one of the things that I've seen. The other thing that I've seen is is maybe more of a of a skill that people just don't have or maybe they don't know how to how to start or how to use it. And that's being able to helicopter in as uh, as I call it. Sometimes when people become higher up in the organization, they don't want to get into any details. And my philosophy has always been that when you find that uh, you have a goal and you have a good team and they can focus on it, you, you just let them run because they can probably do the job better than you can. However, there are times where things don't run according to the plan. And there are times where things um, maybe are not as they started off to be, the plan is a little bit different, the people who are working on it maybe have lost their way a little bit. And those are the times where I think a leader needs to helicopter down, they need to talk through what the issue is, what has changed, what plan should we be making, are the measurements still correct, is there a course correction that we need? Because if you're working on big things, you know you're working on the right things. When you helicopter, when you have an issue, you helicopter down, you see where there's an issue with one of those big things. And a lot of times to get 
unstuck or to make this uh, a little more successful, it takes somebody a little higher up, maybe with a little more authority in the organization to help work through that. A lot of times it's asking the questions at a really detailed level. Well, what happens there? Well, what, why did that go on that way? What, what does that mean? And, and well, why wasn't that delivered over to this department? Or why wasn't that funding for this next promotion delivered? And, you know, do we always take those pictures a month late and you can't get them in the catalog? Or there are a million little things. And if you're working on the big things, you need to get into certain details. The helicopter comes down. You can all work on it. You understand what it is. You know what's happening with that big initiative. And then you helicopter out and you let the group again run with it. And and chances are they're going to solve 90% of some of these issues, but there are always some small issues. And the person who's uh, who wants to be the CEO or who wants to move up uh, in the organization another way, they need to help and they need to support those people because my view is everyone's trying to do a good job sometimes organizations just don't give them the tools or they don't give them the respect or they don't give them maybe the knowledge maybe maybe the person knew something at another at another meeting with another department and that could really help but it just doesn't flow conversations help oh you are speaking to my heart wayne because i too have had those experiences in fact also with an integration of a company that was acquired for somebody that i worked for and we had this very well laid out plan get them integrated in a particular time frame but i realized i didn't know enough about those entities for which we were bringing on to the mothership and when i went there one just to get to know the people what are their capability what are their pain points i soon learned that people were starting to leave prior to the integration that they actually didn't have enough resources to be able to move forward as a company or support the additional effort of doing an integration. It's very complex. Once we elevated that issue, they said they'd been highlighting it for a while and say, we need to fix this first in order to enable them to be successful and support the effort for an integration. We got the people, we hired the people such that they were fully staffed and did the integration. Now, mind you, integrations are wrought with issues and problems and firefighting. But the fact was, to your earlier point, get to know the people. When you get to know the people, they are resilient because they They saw you as respecting them, truly caring about who they are, what they needed. I'm I'm happy to say that, yes, it was rocky, but people came together to achieve the ultimate objective, continuing service on time at quality for our customers. So really sound advice. Get to know your people, build that trust. But also we do have to go down in the weeds to have that understanding. Definitely agree. And that was a great example. I I would like to add one other thing is that if I was listening to this, I'd say, yeah, that sounds like it's, uh, you know, pretty, um, you know, fairy ish that this is going to happen. And I agree, it doesn't happen all the time. And there are good bosses and there are bad bosses. And there was a saying where I used to work where people don't leave uh, bad companies, they leave bad bosses. And in, in my view, I've, I've worked in a number of organizations. I've worked with and for a number of uh, people. And I would say that their talent level varied. And one of the things that I realized is if you have a bad boss, you have to understand or you have to take a calculated risk. You have to do the analysis. Should I leave? Because sometimes the boss is only going to be there for a little while and you can hack it out. Sometimes they're going to be there for years and 
chances are it's not going to change. And sometimes that's how you, uh, I used to say, become CEO of your own career is you would take a decision. You'd say, I'm leaving. I'm going somewhere else. You have to control it in that way. And if the fairy tale or the, I'd say the right way works out where, you know, you've got a good boss and, you know, you're working together and you feel there's the teamwork and you're getting what you need. And that's great. If you aren't and you don't, and it's not going to change and you've tried everything you know how to, how to do, then you have to pull the plug. You have to move on. You have to take control and you set things up for success in another manner. Wayne, I think you know my career because I will tell you when I was at IFF, I had an advocate for which when they were successful and I continued to do work, I was pulled along. That's the perfect situation. You learn a lot, you grow a lot. And then there are situations when you have to realize I've hit a wall and people will be victims to the circumstance. And I keep telling people that come to me through the collective, through my book, et cetera, we are always in control. We may be delayed in being able to make decisions or moves, but we are in control on what are those steps we need to take to move in a direction that feeds our soul and we can do that purposeful work. We should never stop. We should make those tough decisions and say, I'm done here. I've done good work. Time to do it elsewhere. Exactly. And I heard a great expression last week, Deb. The person said, um, they were talking about people being elevated in different organizations. And they said some people, when they get to a certain level, they reach down and they pull up the ladder so no one else gets to climb up. Other people, when they get to a certain level, reach down, extend their hand out and pull others along. I thought, boy, that's that I've seen both. And I thought that was a really good way to express that. Let me just dig into that a little bit more because that's really insightful. Digging down and pulling only one up almost sounds a little self-serving, but reaching down and pulling others up means you're serving the broader community and elevating others. Just go a little bit deeper into that because I think that's really, really important. Yeah, and maybe maybe I should clarify that because the first part of it was reaching down and pulling the ladder up. So you're not allowing others. You know, once you get up there, you're up there and everyone else is there. Changing the bar. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So you're, you're basically shutting the door. You know, uh, the other one is, okay, now I'm up. I'm going to help others to come up here as well. And that is what I do as the drop-in CEO. While we solve business issues, the most rewarding work that we do is also looking at the talent and elevating others in the process. That's what we should be doing is helping develop the leaders of tomorrow. So I am curious about one other thing. When we think about your mergers and acquisition work or the work that you're now doing with P.L. Davies, when you work with a new company, a growth company, a tech company, a mergers and acquisitions, these are exciting ventures. They are talented people, people with a vision. But I'm curious when you enter into these kinds of activities, what are some of the challenges that you have to solve? You know, is it product development? Is it leadership in the team? Are they scattered and disorganized? I am just curious from your perspective, what is missing for which you and your team will go in and try to smooth things out so they can realize growth? So I, I would say that all of those examples are yes, yes, and yes. They're, they're, you know, all of those things happen. Going into a new organization, uh, depending on whether I'm going in to help them solve a specific business problem or if I'm going in as one of the executive leaders. If I'm going into a business as an executive leader, usually the first thing I want to do is meet the other leaders. 
I remember going in and just, you know, talking what, you know, as a marketing person, you know, what do you see the issues are? What, what do you think we're missing? What would you like to have my department do differently? What would be some of the things and ideas? And, you know, I did this in the last few organizations I was in. I talked to all the leaders. Sometimes I talked to them before I officially joined, just on a Zoom call. Sometimes I talked to them afterwards, sit down, have a coffee. Then I went through and I talked to every person that reported to me or a person that reported to the managers that reported to me. Now, I had 3,000 people and went on to the roles that I had. So I, it was it was mostly the managers and, and then the, the other people that reported to them and so on. But, you know, there's probably some 50 or 60 people and I'd spend 20 minutes with them. What, what are we seeing? What are we doing? You know, do you feel like you're valued? What do you need? But there are items that emerge. I remember I went into one company and I talked to a number of people at the executive level and I think the first day uh, they had arranged for me to meet everyone in the large meeting room for two days. So I set up a little bit of a program. And basically what we did over those two days is we went through the, the whole, one of the issues with this company was customer service. And it was taking longer than other companies uh, to deliver who were their competitors. So basically, we, we went through the whole chain. We went through from order taking, uh, the, what the sales guy saw, what the delivery guy saw, what happened in the warehouse, what happened with credit, what happened with, you name it, you know, the I, the systems and everything else. We had two long sheets of paper, one on one wall and one on the other wall, and they were probably 30 feet long. We talked about things what the issues were and so on. Then we we went through and we just mapped the whole system out. One team mapped it out on one wall, one team mapped it out on the other wall. And then I asked the teams to switch and they would review what the other ones had. You know, did they miss something? Did they have something that they didn't have and so on? Anyway, we did, uh, you know, affinity charting. So we basically took the ideas that surfaced and we put them all together. And that was our plan for the next six months. And there were things that uh, cropped up that, probably would have taken, they would have been surfaced probably eventually, it would have taken a long time. It ended up that the credit review check was a big deal. You know, they were selling to Walmart and they were putting them on hold for four days for credit review, you know, things like that. So there were some, there were some easy wins, then there were some things that took us a little bit longer, but we knew and we understood, we had a goal, we wanted to know how to get to that goal. We chopped off the big things first, and then we said, you know, do we need to do these other things or can we live with them? So we, we did that when we go into an organization. If I'm consulting for an organization, I usually like the same thing. I usually like to talk to the top and to the key people, make sure that everyone's aligned, that the issue is actually the main issue. And then, you know, what are the supporting issues that stop them from identifying or carrying out the opportunities and uh, meeting their goals that they'd like to as a business? And that could come anywhere. I've been fortunate. I understand how a business works from A to Z you know, we can usually pinpoint where the issues are and then start working on them. You know, what is so beautiful about sharing what you typically do when you drop in or helicopter into a situation is when you think about it, at the end of the day, you're ultimately building trust. And so often when I see aspiring leaders that get stuck to say, oh, I can't do that. I've never done that. It's a family owned business. I've never been in that role. Then I ask them, can you ask questions and have conversations? Do you know how to do one-on-ones and hear things that they're saying? 
Of course, yes. Do you know how to do mapping, data collection, analysis, et cetera, to see what the opportunities are? Have you ever done that before? And I'm sure most will say yes. The undertone of that is that you're building trust because you're listening and asking well-placed questions. And out of that, the smart people will come up or reveal what the opportunities for which then your leadership can enable to bring that forward. So often, leaders don't take the next step. They don't take the risk. They don't think big. They don't have that mindset to believe they can do it. Yes, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time, but invest now so you don't have to take so long to solve the issue. So thank you for bringing that out because it's easy when you lean on everybody around you, the opportunities just bubble up and then you can make a difference. One thing you said there about trust, uh, that is an excellent point. And sometimes maybe leaders don't want to do it or whatever. I think I think in another way of looking at that might be as well that um, establishing trust. What I found is sometimes just explaining why a decision was made is unbelievable to establish trust. Because if you're seen as a person who just makes knee-jerk decisions and no one understands why, there's no level of trust. Uh, I, I think that that diminishes the level of trust, put it that way. And I think that if, uh, you know, here's what I was thinking, here's why we were doing it, people may agree or disagree, but at least they say, well, you know, there's some thought behind that. There's some rationale. And I think it goes to your point about trust. Trust is is really key. Mm. So, Wayne, I have so, so enjoyed this conversation. First of all, reconnecting with you, the power of the network, and also being able to share your insights with my audience. It's so valuable. And also for me personally, it reinforces some of the work. When I drop into organizations, I see the opportunities. I see the leadership opportunities. And that's where I want to make a difference as well. So you've been enlightening for me, enriched the conversation. Any last thoughts that you would like to share before we bring this to a close? I would just like to say that uh, it was very enjoyable for me. You are doing exceptional work. You know, I'm so glad that I got reconnected with you recently and I found out what you're doing now. I think that uh, the ability to take a look at the books that you have, the podcasts that you have, and the way that you are passionate about your subject, about helping people, this is really valuable. And if I can just be a small part of it, and I hope I have been a, a positive part of it, I'm just happy to do that. So thanks again for the opportunity and let's stay connected then. All right. Well, thank you so much for dropping in on the Drop-In CEO podcast. And I too wish you continued success, Wayne. And thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. If you found this episode valuable, please share this show with at least one friend who would find it useful and inspiring. Your support allows me to keep sharing insights and inspiration to leaders who are working their way to the C-suite. To connect with me or learn more about the Drop-In CEO services, go to my website at dropinceo.com. And until we meet, I wish you well and much success.